Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hello and welcome to No Account for Taste. On this episode, we're talking the SEISS grant, face-to-face -face meetings, a year of lockdown, and we're going to put the spotlight on social media. Hello, I'm Richard Hattersley. Welcome to the show. My partner in crime, John Stockdyke, is off on an assignment today, but instead we're joined in Accountant's Corner by accountant, coach, and Amazon best-selling author, Della Hudson. Hi, Della. Hi, Richard. Nice to be here. And we're also joined by Mike Crook, the Managing Director of Practice Web. Hello, Mike. Hey, Rich. Nice to be here. Well, later in the show, Mike and Della will be sharing their insights on how social media is shaking up the profession, or is it still shaking up the profession? We'll find out. But first, this week is, of course, the anniversary of the first coronavirus lockdown. So over that last 12 months, the pandemic really has pushed accountants to their limits. Uh, Della, what are some of the lessons you and, and your firm um, have learned over these past um, 12 months? Um, we're, we're very lucky. We were okay on the technology front, the remote working, things like that were all absolutely fine. The hardest thing has been all the government announcements coming out at 5pm and clients in need immediately wanting more information on them. And of course, we didn't know anything more than the five, five o'clock announcements. So it was learning to take control of communications so that we weren't overwhelmed with clients ringing, emailing, whatever. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's actually, it's been a recurring theme throughout uh, the last 12 months, hasn't it? And, and Mike, at Practice Web, you, you, you tuned in to uh, accountancy practices. So what's your perspective on, the, on how the past 12 months have shaped the profession? I think as, um, I suppose I'm just build on Della's point really, which is around communication. Obviously that's kind of the area that we tend to focus in on. And a lot of firms took the opportunity to be uh, efficient and effective with their communication, setting up things like WhatsApp groups and communicating with people in different ways that they probably hadn't done before. Um, so that's what was really encouraging to see. And hopefully that something that sticks they've got more access to their clients through mobile and um, other digital formats that perhaps they hadn't before which is really encouraging to see um, and it was great to see lots of LinkedIn content being produced videos content um, and other bits and pieces that certainly helped me as an MD um, and, and reading some of the good stuff died down a little bit more now appreciate we're not having mini budgets every week are we so that's probably part of it but um yeah the comms piece has been really interesting to see and watch accountants work out how to be more efficient with these mass communications um that they needed to to deal with uh for their clients so hopefully those things continue we'll, we'll certainly pick up on those points later on in the podcast but Della um the final point on this do you think the past 12 months have has changed you as an accountant or just changed how you interact with clients? Um, I don't think it has too much. Um, I've always been an introvert. I've worked from home for the last four years. And um, although Hudson Accountants was office-based, we still had the facility to work remotely and Minerva Accountants was set up in the cloud and will 
continue in the cloud after lockdown. Well, I think that nicely segues into our most read articles of the week. So thank you very much, Della. You'll find out in a moment why, because our third most read piece this week was a story on whether accountants will ditch face-to-face -face meetings for video meetings, whether being you having clients now used to uh, Zooms and MS Teams, whether now they will feel that they don't need to really see their accountant in face-to-face -face anymore, whether accountants will just completely be a little bit more agile and, and go with video meetings uh, rather than uh, traveling to seeing a client or making sure that their favorite biscuits are stocked in case they pop in the office. Uh, Della, you, you sort of touched on it a moment ago, but what's your thoughts on, on just this idea about what life will look like going forward? I think it's really down to the individual firms what they choose to do. And some clients will want to go back to face-to-face -face meetings, just as some accountants will. But for me, I'm going to stick with the online ones. I may be working from home now, but my future ambition is to work from anywhere. So I don't want to offer the face-to-face -face meetings if I can just do something remote from the far side of the world. It certainly does open you up to uh, uh, much more potential business from clients from across the country rather than just within your own location, doesn't it? But does does it kind of change the dynamic of um, of video meetings compared to physical meetings or are, are they much the same for you, Della? They're pretty much the same. Um you don't get the physical handshake, but the rest of the conversation is pretty much the same. And actually, in some ways, it's easier to share a screen on Zoom than to sort of huddle around a computer in an office or a meeting room. And Mike, what was some of the uh, some of the thoughts you're seeing from the profession on this? Do you, do you sort of see this uh, this change in just the, the uh, video meetings um, overtaking face to face meetings as just standard client? communication from this point onwards well i think we've been doing it for so long that it it's like a, it's a new habit isn't it and i suppose if it was uh, a bit of a flash in the pan for a, for a few months we'd probably all go back to face to face but i guess we've all been we're all used to now doing business remotely um over zoom from the comfort of our, our own homes which I, I i think is is only beneficial um carbon footprint and you know cost to business is is a, is a good thing um but there is a time and a place for face-to-face -face meetings i think that sort of you know gone are the days perhaps that we needed to do face-to-face -face meetings to build that relationship to close business um but some will still favor it as della says you know it's it's going to take it depends on the firm depends on the client type um you know maybe there are certain generations of of business owners that are just um, keen to to get back face to face, and I think in that article it certainly references some that you know the clients were demanding for them to be face to face, um, whereas others may be adapting really well to it. And I, and I think it's just taking a, that blended approach, knowing when to go for a face to face versus when things can be done uh, on on digital and on on Zoom. I've certainly find it from a from a MD perspective of a business, it's a lot easier just to quickly hop on a call, have a thirty minute, half an hour chat without all the faff of getting to somewhere. Um, so there's there's definitely times and places to to do it, and, and I've you know I've signed off things um, from a from a purchasing perspective, and we've also closed business. So you know it, it, it's changed, um, and I think it will face to face will come back in. We are probably all desperate for a little bit of uh, human contact at the moment. So 
once the you know flood floodgates are lifted, we'll we'll probably be doing that. But a blended approach to business, face to face and and digital, is is where I'm where I'm been going. Mike, you make a good point there about uh, you you mentioned about just being able to hop on meetings uh, with with a video conference compared to a physical meeting where. There seemed to be much more of a um, much more of a parade around it in a way that that you had to uh, fill a, fill a whole meeting because you're getting someone there physically in front of you. Um, so it it does seem as if video meet, meetings may make life a little bit more agile, I guess. I'd say so, and and also you get to eat the biscuits, right? You don't you don't have to share them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Della, Della, you are uh, notorious for your your pint. Um, mugs of tea and I'm sure um, you, you can now just have have all the biscuits for yourself because I'm sure you get through a whole packet with a pint pint mug of tea. I don't have biscuits in the house. <laughs> the, the sad thing about homeschooling is my, my daughter loves baking so we have had rather more than was healthy I think but uh, now I, I think Mike's quite right it's not a, a one-size-fits-all and even within a firm you can you know, mix and match. So certain things are easier done face to face and others are better done on, on a short video call with, without all the rigmarole. Also, I, I guess adding to, to that, when you think about your team, I don't know about you, Della, but there's a duty of care that we've got to our employees to think about when is the right time that they feel comfortable for, for meeting people as well. Um, you know, as, as, I guess not just face to face meetings, but as events come back online, you know, should should do people want to go? Um, will they start demanding that actually they need to have their jabs before they go? So there's other things to consider when it comes to face-to-face meetings. In the short term, whilst we whilst we get over where we are and, and people are, you know, having their inoculations. So it is a, it is a bit of a challenge and a, and a bit of a tricky one to to navigate. I think. Well, let's look at our second most read story now. This one comes from uh, Paul Applin, and he's writing about the potential snowstorm of points and penalties under MTD. This was inspired by the latest paper on penalties for late submission, which um, which he said that it that there is some added complications. Um, he said that while a great deal of thought has clearly gone into the, the design, uh, mainly necessitated by the increased number of filing obligations MTD will bring, the result is significant additional complexity. Della, What's your feelings on this idea of, um, of of the penalties for late submission and the potential com- complexity and how that could lead to more penalties? Well, we're sort of used to this with the VAT penalty regime. I, I know it's not a, a points-based thing, but I'm quite happy with what they've proposed. And I agree with Paul. It, it is slightly complicated because now it's across all the different taxes. But I, I like it, and I think it's a little bit more forgiving that you know you don't have to get absolutely everything perfect. So I, I'm I'm in favour of it generally. Um, obviously, I'd prefer there weren't any penalties for the times when uh, clients don't get things done. But generally, we do. So it's in in some ways it's irrelevant, um, and a bit of forgiveness is great. Um, Paul does also bring up the idea of. Um of nudges as being a, a potential uh, digital solution to ensure that, uh, to help taxpayers and tax agents cope with the new system. So as Paul says that, uh, he, he says about that much was made at the uh, 
uh, at the time MTD was announced for the scope of digital prompts and nudges to help taxpayers avoid mistakes. Stella, do you think something like a, a nudge as part of the uh, the personal tax account and, and business tax account could be a way to uh, mitigate some of these, these penalties? Absolutely, because what we really want is for everybody to be complying and paying their tax and submitting things on time. So the the uh, penalties are the are the stick for those, but it's already too late by that point. So let's get people doing the right thing first time. My my only hesitation is just knowing the number of reminders that HMRC send out for self assessments on paper and long after you've actually submitted them is is a little bit frustrating. So I think HMRC need to get their act in in order. Which, is uh, I, I'm often finding myself saying that. So I, I would love it to work, but I do want them to be useful nudges, not something a month after something's been submitted just because HMRC aren't up to date. Mike, what's your thoughts on this? I, I know it. Does it all come back down to communication? What's your feelings? I, I, yeah, so did Della said, I suppose I, I like the idea of um, communication and, and perhaps more real time prompting and sending out letters and getting letters after the fact is all a bit slow and archaic. So the the point in that article, which I really liked, was that um, or, or maybe slightly ironic where it says it's designed from a customer perspective to encourage compliance. And then later on, it talks about the fact that it's not it doesn't got any APIs to help with maybe the. Um, software that uh, obviously you know the accountant and the client are using on a regular basis which actually would help massively if the two got their heads together and um, worked something out whereby those those you know those alerts and reminders could be with real time within that um, within that platform Uh, and that feels like a logical step so software vendors working closer with the HMRC to be able to to get those APIs Uh, I'm sure that's a a source of frustration for software vendors anyway but that feels like the right thing to do and it does come down to communication there's a lot lot going on um you know for, for business owners uh, and then it, you know this making it more complex for, for an accountant uh, and their client relationship and, and another thing to be reminded by is you know anything that can be eased through uh, better notifications and communication has got to be a, a plus point excellent um Let's move on to our most read story of the week. So this was the news that um, if taxpayers did not respond to an HMRC email by the 22nd of March, they would be prevented from making further self-employed income support scheme claims and may face an inquiry into the grants already received. So HMRC sent an email to a number of uh, self-employed traders on the 26th of February um, asking them to prove that they are still trading. Now, the issue here, as Rebecca Cave pointed out within the piece, is that tax agents were not copied into the email, so accountants were unaware that their clients have been contacted in this way. And on top of this, taxpayers may also miss the message, as um, as Rebecca said, HMRC is not in the habit of sending emails directly to taxpayers. Um, and um, of course, some may um, think that this was a scam. Um, Della, what's, what's your thoughts about just just this combined issue, which is which was put on, which uh, increased the stress over this deadline? Oh, I think it's absolute nonsense all round. 
we've spent years telling our clients that HMRC do not use email. Um, so anything you get from them is a scam. So to suddenly send out an unexpected email and not to copy in the agents, just um, that, that in itself is just absolutely ridiculous. Why aren't HMRC copying in the agents? I know that we can't apply for the grant on behalf of clients, but at least let us know. Um, and, and the other bit, of course, is, you know, if they don't claim now, perhaps they don't need it now. Perhaps things are looking a little bit better. It's been up and down for certain business types over the last year. So not everybody needs it now, but they might need it in future and they might have needed it in the past. So raising inquiries, I can see why it might be a red flag for HMRC, but personally, I'd be more concerned about people who are still claiming grants who don't fulfill the conditions rather than those who've claimed in the past and now have stopped claiming. Yeah, it's just ludicrous. Yeah, Mike, have you got any thoughts on this piece? Mm. Yeah, I, I th well, as Della mentioned there, I mean, it's a it, we, we spend ages thinking about, you know, uh, scam emails and spam emails and things from your bank and HMRC you always treat as suspicious. So to get something out of the blue um, and perhaps even people phoning their accountants saying, hey, I've had this email and they, they don't know anything about it just raises the suspicion. Uh, and especially if you read the opening paragraph of that email, it certainly made me think, oh, hello, what, what's this? This seems like a bit of spam. Um, but at the same time, that, now that now that an accountant is on the back foot, they have to kind of damage the limitation and, and try and get communication out and, and you know, um, allay the fear or to, to um, perhaps their client base. And if you think when you read the email, it is quite an abrasive tone. And, and maybe that's just HMRC's way because they're always dealing with having to um, chase late payments and, and um, maybe treat everybody with a bit of suspicion. So it wasn't the best communication. And if they had allowed accountants to perhaps communicate that in a, in a better way, then the client experience would have been much better uh, and the results would have been much better. And as Della said, some people may not need it. Um, some people might not need it now or anything like that. And then there can be an, there can be context around it and a discussion rather than a, and a, a rather uh, abrasive and perhaps what seems to be a spam email. So it's, yeah, it's a bit concerning that. And, and Della, the, the whole point about uh, agents being um, taken out of the process, of course, uh, it was mentioned on an account web live session with Rebecca Bennyworth and Paul Applin, and, and they suggest that HMRC are not really trying to take agents out of the process. But things like this does kind of make your job more difficult, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And it makes HMRC's job more difficult. So I, I can see with this grant, it was all done in a real hurry. So they made it so the client applies themselves and then didn't continue extra development so that uh, we could do it on behalf of clients. So I can see why the application was done that way, because it all had to be done very quickly. But for heaven's sake, and a copy on an email is just ridiculous, especially as you usually have an email address for the accountant and not necessarily for the client. That was the three most read pieces, but now we're going to look at uh, social media because Mike uh, Practice Web has released a guide on social media and it feels like, as you mentioned at the start of today's show, it was something which firms were just, just naturally doing during the pandemic, wasn't it, with you flag their LinkedIn posts 
but you said this is kind of um, drifted off now. It has a little bit. Yeah, um, certainly noticed it in, in my feed. And that may be because people are, you know, accountants feel like that there isn't as much to talk about. Um, but it still has, I mean, social media has its place and it has its place in your uh, ability to raise your profile, um, your own firm's profile, as well as demonstrating your expertise. So it's a, it should be viewed as a, as a key communication tool. It's, it's equally, it's great to have a, a one-to-one communication with um, prospects and clients as well. So keeping that conversation going, I appreciate it does take you know, hard work and planning um, to be able to you know, use it as, as effectively as, as possible, but it is a great tool. And I'm sure if, you, if those um, accountants who were using it during the pandemic reflected on it, they probably found that actually um, their clients really appreciated it. They probably want some business off the back of it. Um, and it's, I would encourage them to to keep it up. Now, they don't have to do every single channel, um, but they certainly should pick those channels that they feel their client base is on uh, and start crafting content, which is useful and engaging uh, to try and sort of woo them in um, and raise their, raise their own profile. As luck would have it, we have someone on the line who is, of course, the, the, the queen of Twitter, the queen of social media, we have Della Hudson. Uh, Della, you've kind of mastered the art of, of social, haven't you? And you've, you've managed to uh, make a great benefit for your firm, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Twitter is my second home. And with Hudson Accountants, about a third of our leads came in through social media, which was predominantly Twitter. Um, and... In a way, it's accounting web that got me into all this, the online conversations. When I was first starting up, I used the forum for all sorts of stuff. Um, I also previously lived in France, so I was used to communicating online. So to move to Twitter to fit around um, my small kids when I couldn't go out and about face-to-face networking was just natural for me. And when you have a certain success, you continue with that but it's definitely got busier during the pandemic, um, which which sort of diluted my impact. It was my place. <laughs> but it's nice to see practitioners out there offering useful information, sharing useful stuff for their clients, because there has been a lot to say. I, I think it sort of settled down a bit once everybody was focusing again on um, the the year-end tax and things like that and hasn't resurrected again because it's more or less business as usual Mm. um yes there's furlough again but yeah we've done that before we don't need to tell our clients anything they're not in quite the same rush so yeah I, i love social media and like many introverts i prefer communicating in writing to speaking mike we've heard from della there della said that it was it was uh her, her firm, um, it, it brought in many, many uh, prospective clients to her firm through her Twitter feed. So it's proven to work, but it's, it's actually been able to do it in the right way, though, isn't it? It is. And, it, and it's about being consistent. It's about having a strategy, um, you know, obviously being in the right place at the right time on the right platform. But what's interesting, we, we um, as a business, we track all our clients uh, marketing data so we're able to have an overview of um channels so all the different social media channels and how those channels then um draw clients or prospects back to their website and how they convert what's interesting is whilst social media does um it does drive traffic back to clients uh, accounting clients websites 
it's a small percentage. It's only 4% over the last year that, that drove traffic back. It's They're still in the thousands, but it's uh, only 4%. But they are an engaged bunch when they come to accounting sites. We can see that majority of the time they're looking for downloads. So just under half uh, of the conversions of client sites were of the downloads, so eBooks and guides, which is, which is great and it's good. Uh, the second uh, sort of most... Conver- um, uh, type of conversion was from email so emailing into firms and uh, that's the, the sort of preferred contact method if you like from somebody going from social to a firm but that's probably because there is a also that the majority of those who came from social media onto our um, accounting clients websites came via mobile as well so it's a it's a big source of mobile traffic social media um, i think it's over over 70 percent of that traffic from social media came via a, um, or, or on a mobile so you need to think about that journey not just what you're doing on um, social media but what's that journey when they come to your website what does it look like and if it's mobile predominantly have you got clear calls to action that work for mobile where's your phone number because they want to want to phone you but they also want to make sure that they can email you as well and if you've got ebooks and guides, you need to make sure that they work really well on mobile because that's certainly great content to share on social media and it's driving people back. But if you can't download it on mobile, it's going to be tricky. So we, we've talked about Twitter. We've talked about LinkedIn. A lot has changed, though. We've now got things like TikTok. We've now got uh, the, the, the new kid on the block, Clubhouse. Della, can you see any of the, the newer platforms being of use to accountants in in order to engage clients or just uh, within their own peer group? I think they're all great opportunities. Um, It's just finding the one that suits you. As I say, I I like Twitter, I like LinkedIn. Now it's lightened up a bit over uh, lockdown. It's less formal. Um, They suit my style and they're in writing. And I, I do bits on Clubhouse. I've never hosted a session, but I've been invited to speak on other people's sessions and I'm doing one tomorrow and did a couple last week um clubhouse isn't really my preferred uh means of communication i'm happy enough to do it i have yet to see the value for me but i'm quite prepared to change my mind should that uh, change when all those android users get on there and change the world <laughs> Um, Mike, how about yourself? We, we've heard a lot of noise around Clubhouse over the last few weeks and months. Is it the the, the next big thing or is it a flash in the pan? What do you think? Is it going to sh- shake the profession? I, I like the concept of it. I think it works well and it works well for, depends on, again, as Della mentioned, it kind of depends on your character. If you can hold a room for an hour and have a chat, uh, you're probably going to fare quite well um, but if you are uh, perhaps not that way inclined joining in on conversations is a great start because you can start to test you know if it's if it's for you you know it's a little bit like going on on, on live radio um, or something along those lines so you do if you're going to run one you're going to need a, a script you're going to need something that's going to fill that time um, and, and keep the momentum and engagement going so yeah, just just need to think a little bit. If that's your character and your personality, then that's great. If not, yeah, join in some of those conversations. It was great the other day. I was I was on lunch, uh, just scrolling through. I saw somebody I knew was hold, hosting a room, so I went in and then joined in the conversation. So some of those things are just great, it wasn't it? Wasn't timed. It, I just went on um, and joined in the in the debate about it was about how to grow a digital agency. So I was just talking about that. So there are lots of good things in there. And if your clients are on there, or if it especially is an early adopter, if you can make your mark early on um, and get to understand it, 
that puts you in good stead going forward if it should take off. And I appreciate, again, these things take time, energy and effort. You can't outsource it. You have to turn up yourself. Um, so it, it is a it is a tricky one, but I think it's got legs. I like the idea of it. Um, and yeah, I think it's just a case like any marketing. Try it out. See if it's for you. Uh, at the beginning of the show, we talked about how um, uh, during the actual coronavirus lockdown, accountants were pushed during these 5 p.m. press briefings in order to get the information out to their clients as quick as possible. I can certainly see something like Clubhouse and, and even something like TikTok, to be honest, being a, a great platform just to get that information out to your clients in, in, in a really easy, uh, bite-sized uh, way. Uh, Dallas, is that something which you would be interested in doing to your clients? Could you see that benefit? I could see it working for some people. Um, I would probably just type out a summary and send that off or record something with um, visual as well. And then you can catch people, not just the audio, but the video side of it. So Clubhouse probably wouldn't be my first choice, but for some people who quite enjoy talking, um, and, and that is actually the downside of Clubhouse, is it, it's an awful lot of people who like talking rather than listening at the moment. So any event on there needs to be very well chaired. As Mike says, you need a script, you need a plan. Um, so it, it will evolve. It will become better, I think. But yes, I, I like the idea of using it for very quick communications. But with the, the 5 p.m. announcements, what time do you set your bit for? Um, because they, they would run late or they would run for different lengths of time. So it's, it's a nice idea, but I'm not quite sure how I would use it constructively. Uh, to put a bow on this conversation, this podcast, Mike, um, it feels like a theme throughout today's program with the uh, talking about through about lockdown. We had the video messaging. We had the um, the, the nudges um, and also social media. It feels like communication, it all goes back to communication. And with social, it is all about that communication, what's best for you and your clients, isn't it? Yeah, content and communication are, are absolutely key. Uh, have been through the last 12 months and, and before that, but no more so than, you know, no more important than last year uh, and should continue to be. I think learning from what you've done as, a, as an accounting firm over the last 12 months, it is a shame to see some people stop doing the the, the, the conversations and the content that they were doing on, on social media. Um, but just across the board, it's about great client experience. It's about you guys being the champions and, and demonstrating your expertise uh, to prospects and your clients and making sense of all of this for us so that we can, you know, we can effectively run our, our business. And that comes down to really strong and effective communication. Excellent. Well, that's all we've got time for today on No Account for Taste. All that we've got left to do is say thank you to our guests today, Mike Crook and Della Hudson. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, for all your news from the world of accountancy, please join us, as always, on accountantweb.co.uk. But until next time, I've been Richard Hattersley. Bye for now.